Welcome to another exciting message from Journey Church, meeting weekly in Northwest Calgary. At Journey Church, we're encountering God and embracing people. everyone. We're going to continue our series this week called Encounters with Jesus. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. The premise of this series has been this, that our discipleship as Christians is directly tied to how consistently and deeply we encounter the person and presence of Jesus. We can't become better disciples of Jesus if we actually don't encounter him and encounter his presence in our lives. And I think as we look at the gospel stories, we see that time after time, there are these stories of people encountering the person of Jesus, and it changes them. And not only does it change them personally, but that cascades, that change cascades to uh, a changing a whole society. And really, if we look at it from a historical perspective, changing uh, the world as we know it. And that is my prayer for all of us over these weeks that we would encounter Jesus in new and fresh ways. None of us, no matter who we are and no matter where we are, um, know Jesus so well that we cannot be changed by him more, that we cannot encounter him in deeper ways. And so um, my prayer for myself and for all of you is that Jesus, the very presence of Jesus, would encounter us and change us. Um, I want to read from Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 14 says this, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And uh, so just as context here, Jesus has been in the desert being tempted by the enemy. It's very interesting, uh, just off the top, and this is for free, that Jesus was being um, tempted by the devil and was fasting for 40 days and came back more powerful. <laughs> so that's weird. <laughs> Because that's not normally how we think of things like that, right? Like, usually if you've had a bad season where it feels like the devil's tempting you, okay, so like, just even me saying that for a lot of you, you're recoiling inside like the devil, what? <gasps> we don't believe in that in Canada. Okay, so, but there's an interesting correlation here that I think as Christians, as the body of Christ, we got to get that when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God is with us and he strengthens us. Okay, so Jesus, so news spread about him throughout the whole country. By the way, you want your friends to know that you're, like something is different about you? Go through a hard time, let them see that, and then news about your God's going to spread throughout the countryside. Okay, we're getting into trouble here. Verse 15. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. It's also a very interesting, Jesus, who was God, thought it was important that he went to synagogue. It was his, so to say something's your custom, um, let me just step on a few toes for a few minutes. If something's your custom, it's something you do regularly. I'll just leave it at that. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. When it says here that he stood up to read, what, what the scripture is actually telling us is that he was asked to be like a guest speaker. Um, in Jewish culture, there were times where uh, guests would come and speak. And so he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, 
The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim, prisoner, proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And everybody heard it. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what we have heard you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only named in the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up and drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of, on, of the hill, on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Okay, this is a, a very interesting passage because it's actually the first sermon that Jesus gives. And uh, some of you are, are thinking to yourself, because actually the sermon is like a couple of lines, and you're thinking, that was a really good, you should go and do likewise. That's what you're thinking right now. I will tell you, the scholarship tells us that this is what's called a very small summary of what he said. So he just, that's for free. Uh, okay, but let me just give you the historical breakdown here. When, um, when Jesus was giving this uh, sermon, here's what happened in the synagogue. They would have um, the singing of a psalm. So they would come and sing a psalm together. This is, by the way, where we get our tradition of singing at the front end of our uh, Protestant services. In the Jewish, we, we take a lot of what we what the Jewish synagogues do, and we, we've copied it. So they had a singing of song, the reading of the Shema, the repetition of 18 blessings, the reading of the law and translation, reading from the prophets. Okay, so this is where you see, this is where Jesus came in. It's almost like, it's like the last thing. They'd have this reading of the prophets, and this is why Jesus wrote, uh, read Isaiah, and then a sermon on the scripture, and then a blessing. And you'll notice that in this service, things have gone haywire and there is no blessing. They're trying to kill Jesus at the end of his sermon. Now, we're not going to try to replicate that today. Um, this is the sermon. Please save your comments for another time. Um, but it's interesting because the, the reading of the prophets was on a three-year fixed cycle. Okay, so uh, they had high liturgy. They would read... Uh, they, they had the scriptures all lined out for three years. And when a visiting preacher would come, they would just read from the fixed part of scripture. So you didn't, you didn't really have much of a choice. It's not like you could be like, my favorite verse is, uh, Jesus was somewhat stuck with the Isaiah text. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because it tells us that of all the texts that Jesus could have come in to read. He read a text about himself. Isn't that wild? Like, wouldn't you? I, I'm shocked that the scripture, see, now this is where we lose a little bit. This is where we've got to help each other in teaching because, can I get a little less um, something on my mic here? Thanks. Um, it, it, Jesus could have had any other scripture, and yet he reads this Isaiah passage. 
anybody who was a first century Jew who was reading, who was reading the account of this would have understood the significance of it. They would have gone like, whoa, God really set this up. I, I want to tell you this, that just as God was setting up Jesus' life, every part of it, he was declaring that he was the Messiah, that he was God. I want to say to you that the same God is setting up your steps. He's ordering your steps. He's ordering the places that you go and the people that you talk to. It is not, we, as Christians, listen, we do not believe in luck, nor do we believe in fate, but we believe that every step is ordained by us and for us by the Spirit of God. So Jesus uh, comes into the synagogue and he reads this scripture. And I want to make just a few observations about this text. Um, the first... The first observation um, is this, sorry, as I find my notes. Uh, when Jesus reads this scripture from Isaiah 62, he tells us what he is about. And this in turn tells us what we should be about. The scripture is very, I think sometimes we read about Jesus and we go, well, yeah, yeah, but he was Jesus. So like he was like God and he was special. But the scripture is very clear that our lives are to imitate Jesus' life. That our ministry, that the things that we do, the way that we walk our lives out is to imitate Jesus. 1 John 2 verse 6 says, whoever says he abides in him, so whoever says, listen, I follow Jesus, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. 1 Peter 2.21 says, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. We're to follow in Jesus' steps. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul's talking, and he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. This idea of following in Jesus' steps is, is paramount to the gospel, that we follow in Jesus' steps. So then here, first time Jesus preaches, he says, okay, everybody, here is what I am about. Here's what I'm about. Okay, so now, here's what Jesus does not say. Here are the 75 rules that I'm going to follow. And y'all should follow them. If people don't follow them, get very angry at them. Have a judgmental face for them. Be mad all the time because the culture is going not the way of me. Here are the things that you should really, really... Jesus doesn't say any of that. He quotes Isaiah 62. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I want us just to break down these things um, and uh, talk about them for a minute. So it says that he has anointed him. Jesus was anointed to do the work of the Lord. I want to say the same thing to you, that every single person here has been anointed by God to do the work of God. And the work of God means to proclaim news to the poor. Now, so in an affluent um, country like Canada, we can lose sight of this thing that we're all called to. But nowhere in scripture is it uh, more clear than in this place that we actually are called to the marginalized of society. We're called to the poor. Now I know that in this kind of society, what we try to do here is go, well, he wasn't really meaning like the actual poor. 
He was meeting people who feel poor, like on Monday morning and sad. And truthfully, we know that Jesus did talk about in the Beatitudes, the blessed are the poor in spirit. He did talk about being poor in spirit, and that is true. He has called us to the poor in spirit. But I will say this, that if you're a follower of Jesus, you actually can't get away from the call to the poor. And, and, and every time the gospel goes forward in power, it's because the people of God decide that the poor of the world matter, decide that the marginalized matter, decide that uh, we can't just sit here in our own comfort because essentially when we do that we strip ourselves of ourself and say that I'm no longer the most important person he called us to proclaim good news to the poor historically we know that this is true that the gospel has always been a story of the poor gathering around this message to Jesus of the billions of people that have come to Jesus and by the way there are no more uh, there are more Christians in the world right now right here as we gather on this Sunday morning than there have been at any other time on the planet. Don't let the media tell you that Christianity is dead, that religion is over, and nobody cares. Today, hundreds of people are coming to Jesus, but we have to get a vision. So, so what does this mean for us in our own society? Some of us have grown up around affluence. And, and listen, this is not, we don't get reverse bias here where we're like, oh, I'm sorry for... The question is, what, what is Jesus calling us to do as a community, as a people, as individuals? It's part of the reason why we give out backpacks, why at Christmas we're going to serve the poor in our city, because this is what Jesus has called us to do, yes? He's called us to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Now, this always sounds nice. We like to sing about setting people free. <laughs> it's powerful. And if you grew up in the 90s or the 80s and did human videos... Um, to Carmen's songs. If you don't know what I'm talking about right now, just go to sleep. But if you grew up in the 80s or 90s, you will know that every human video, this is when you'd like show the gospel through a song. If you didn't belong in that era, it's fine. You didn't miss a lot. But, but what you did miss was chains. There were always chains in these videos. You always had, and someone who was really good at it, they went like, there was no Kijiji back then, but like, or Amazon, but they found, I don't know where they found these big heavy chains, and people would be up there doing miming, and I was terrible at it, but, because I'd always laugh in the middle. <laughs> and then, and then the chains would break, and, and people would pretend they were crying, and anyways, we love as Christians to talk about people getting free, proclaiming freedom to prisoners, but I just want you for a minute to think about this not metaphorically. Okay, think about it. Think about it actually. Let's proclaim freedom to all the prisoners in Canada today. No, no, absolutely not. We might say freedom, but we actually, what we actually mean is keep serving your sentence for a long, long time. Okay, so now I'm not saying, Jesus is not saying that we're supposed to go to all the jails and set everybody free. But I, what I want you to feel just for a moment is the, uh, the, very, human, uh, the very human feeling of, mm, not sure about that. Because as humans, we want uh, fairness. We don't really want, because if you're tied up in your own stuff, but well, you got yourself there. So we're hoping that you feel that a little bit so that you don't get yourself back there again. 
We want freedom for ourselves. Because if you understood my situation, you'd know why I got here, right? It's easier, it's easier to like make a justification for yourself. But Jesus said we're to call and proclaim freedom for prisoners. Do you know there's all kinds of people that are caught up in shame and guilt and pain, and we're to proclaim freedom to them. And recovery of sight for the blind. Well, this is an interesting um, one because Jesus is actually, he's both talking uh, very physically and then metaphorically, but the very physically we like to pretend, well, Jesus did that, but not me. Because God doesn't really do miracles anymore. Didn't you know that? Like, especially not here in Canada. He's like anti-miracle Canada. But the scripture doesn't say that. Like, there's no footnote that says, and also, if you're in a postmodern context, don't worry about it. Just, it's okay. Nobody needs. Miracles are like, I mean, basically, they're only for a short period of time anyways, because everybody's going to die. So it's okay. I want to call us to be people that again begin to believe for miracles because that's what God's called us to. Now, now listen to me. I, 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 I am uh, vehemently pushing back against um, platform miracles. So what I mean by that is this, that the only place God can do miracles is if I don a white suit and call people forward. I, I think the Spirit of the Lord is on you. You are anointed. We are all anointed. And, and the thing is, we have to just say, God... Um, if I want to be like you, I want to be about the things you're about. So, so God, give me courage. Some of us just need to pray, like, I need courage to be like you, Jesus, to, to actually pray that people's eyes will be opened. I remember when I was a kid, I went to um, a tent meeting, and I was highly embarrassed to go to it because I was around 12 or 13 when you're just highly embarrassed all the time. And um, it was in a mall parking lot. <laughs> which there's a very high chance that you're going to see somebody that you know, right? So my parents took me into this high-visibility tent. And, you know, like, the tents didn't have sides on them. And I guess, like, the adults, that was the point of it, right? So that people could see and come. I was wishing it would be more like a soundproof place to go. And music was very loud. And in my opinion, not very good at that time. There were many tambourines within that context. And if you play the tambourine, that is, I'm sure you're anointed to play it. But um, anyways, the, the preacher was like sweating from the outset like he was drenched. And I remember thinking, you're getting a workout in here today. But he called people forward to be like, to be pray, uh, if you're deaf here, come forward. And then there was a lady who had been deaf in the crowd and they prayed for her, and she got healed. I'm 12 or 13, and I'm thinking, whoa, God still does this. And there's a big newspaper write-up about it, and, you know, it was a really cool story, and, and many of her friends, like, were, were like, oh, God must be real. Listen, I, I, I don't tell you that story to sensationalize the gospel. I, I, I want to tell you that people are looking for a God who is real, and, and biblically, from Genesis to Revelation, God showed up and did signs and wonders so that people would say, oh, God must be real. So now we don't like to engage that way because we're afraid sometimes. Like, well, what if I pray and nothing happens? What then? And I just want to say to you, Jesus didn't say any of that here. What he said was like, we're to pray for people that they'll receive their sight. That, that's, my, that's my calling and my ministry. And I, I want to just say to you, 
suggests that perhaps this morning God would call all of us to that kind of ministry, to pray and believe and trust God for the results, yes? So that people could say, yes, God certainly is real. And there are things in your own life I think that you're praying for. Wouldn't it be cool if God showed up and did a miracle? Wouldn't it be good to just say that God is doing miracles in our midst every week? Recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, Jesus says, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Let me just say this about the scripture. Um, verse 19, we're going to look at what isn't there, but what is there is to our job, as Christ, Jesus said, my job is to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is why I believe that Christians should be known what we're for instead of for what we're against. Because our ministry should be to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I don't know about you, but when I'm talking about favor, I'm not usually like, and here are 75 things that you're doing wrong. It's the year of the Lord's favor, man. Some of us, our Facebook posts tell other, another story that we're not proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. We're like proclaiming the year of anger. And, and this is not what Jesus said he was about. Now, I'm going to tell you that right away, and we're going to look at this in a second, there would have been people sitting in that, in that synagogue that would have gone, well, seems a little bit light to me. Um, and Jesus, he just didn't care. Our job is to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. Your madness hasn't done a bit of good in a thousand years. And, and, and if you're mad and you feel like you've got to project that to other people, I, I just wanna, I want you to ask the Lord, Lord, why am I so mad? Why do I feel like i got to tell everybody exactly how it is? Our job is to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. His favor rests on us. Uh, let me just make this other observation about the text. Uh, Jesus declares that it's God's season of grace. It's interesting. So Jesus is reading from Isaiah 61, verse 2. If you know your Old Testament, it says exactly what Jesus says here. Except for Isaiah 61 goes on. It says, uh, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Now, now Jesus doesn't put that part in there. Uh, he doesn't say, I think if we go to the next slide, it might, might be there. Yeah, okay, no, it's not there. Um, you can look it up this week, Isaiah 61. It, it is a very glaring omission that Jesus takes out the vengeance of our God. People who were sitting in the synagogue would have gone, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but what about that vengeance of our God bit? What? How come you forgot that part? I was thinking about, there was a song in the 90s that we used to sing, and this is, and it was based on Isaiah 61, and we used to always sing it with it. This is the day of the favor of the Lord, praise the Lord, of the vengeance of our God. It kind of ended like an 80s rock song, like you kind of wanted to, like in a very, do you remember this, Phil? And you'd like kind of sing out, the vengeance of our God, and everybody would be singing. But it really wasn't biblical, because Jesus while Isaiah said it, when Jesus came, he wasn't talking about the vengeance of God anymore. He, he stopped at the favor of the Lord. 
And I've heard people say this, well, like, I don't like it when churches um, uh, preach a cheap grace. You don't like the message of Jesus then. Because Jesus said, this is the day of the favor of God. And what does this mean to me? It means that God extends his grace to me. And this, my friends, is scandalous. It actually, the Greek word is scandalon. This is a scandal that God said, hey, you, all the things you've done wrong, grace. All the things you keep doing wrong, grace. This is the day of the favor of God. And it means this, that if I've accepted God's grace, I have to keep living by God's grace. So some of us, we were okay the first time we said yes to Jesus. We said, yes, Jesus, I accept your grace. And then we get going in life. And then we kind of like uh, make mistakes. So then we, give, we start living under shame. And God doesn't say, I'm going to extend grace to you. The first time you come to an altar, grace for you. After that, you're on your own. Get it together, people. Get it together. He just says, this is the year of the favor of the Lord. I just felt like this week as I was praying and thinking about speaking about this, I, I think there are some of you who are caught under, um, you're caught under a, a cloud of shame. You've walked with the Lord for some time, but you, you, even, you recoil even when I say you're anointed to do the things God's called you to do. Because you haven't been able to continually appropriate God's grace to your life. I want to call you to be people. I want to call all of us to be people that apply the scandalous grace of God continually to our lives. This morning in our prayer time, um, Amy, uh, who was leading worship this morning, her little guy was in the prayer time, and he's learning how to walk, and his feet are big. He's so cute. He's running around with his little red hair, and he'd take like three steps forward, and then he'd fall. Like every time, and then he'd get back up and smile, and then he'd walk three more steps. Amy, I was going to get you to get him, but it's all right, because then I knew that this, the metaphor wouldn't work. He'd probably like just walk across here, no problem. <laughs> but every three or four steps, he'd fall. But what was really just like beautiful to me is that he didn't, like you didn't see Holden, 18 months old, like lay down on the ground. That's it. I'm not walking. Forget it. You got to carry me the rest of your life, Mom. I'm terrible at this. I'm never going to learn to walk. Some of us, we've lived under, we've lived under the um, occupation of our own perfectionism. So we fall, and then we're like, oh, I'm not good at this Christianity thing. Forget it. I give up. If this is what, ugh. I want to call you to be 18 months again. This is why Jesus said you've got to be like a child if you're going to come to me. Right? That we just, you're going to fall. But we live under the favor of, of the Lord. We, we declare the favor of the Lord not just to others but to ourselves. You might have fallen 55 times this week, but I want to call you to have the spirit of holding this morning and get back up and smile and just say, get, get back up. Though a righteous man fall, he gets back up again. That's the point. And so Jesus calls us to this, not living under shame but living under grace. I also want to say this to you, though. The way that the Greek is implied, and this is often missed here in this scripture, is that um, I, I want to call you to accept God's grace today. So some of us put it off. 
like, oh, God's grace, I've got God's grace, I can, I can do that, I can make that decision at another time. But the Bible tells us that today is the day of salvation. And even though the Lord purposely omitted the reference to the day of God's vengeance, this quotation from Isaiah 61 too emphasizes the present time, the present opportunity for grace, and that that will not always last. That there will come a day of God's judgment. That that is part of the whole counsel of God. That we don't live in this everlasting, like, whatever, just do what you want. Like, like Jesus is returning, and his return is closer today than it was yesterday. So let's not put off accepting grace. And this is where grace is beautiful. Because today we can accept God's grace in our life. So this is the question, this is the question I have for you. Have I accepted the grace of God in my life and am I living by the grace of God? Am I living by that grace? Let me just give you one more observation and then we're going to end today. The crowd's inability to think outside themselves caused them to miss Jesus. So, you would think that uh, people would get really mad that Jesus picked this verse from Isaiah. Like, who do you think you are? You're like Joseph's kid. Who do you think you are being like all fancy like that? You think you're some fancy pants that's come back to... No, and they weren't actually. The crowd did very much like what we do. Like, do you know when someone becomes... Okay, so this is probably a bad example. But you know when like Justin Bieber was from Canada? For a while, we all owned him. Okay, we don't now. I know that many... But we were like, yes, Celine Dion's having a new album come out. She's Canadian. Do you know, like, how all, we're so funny about it? Like, if someone's Canadian, we always have to say that off the top. Like, oh, yes, they're Canadian. Did you know that? Like, we eat maple syrup here and make really amazing people. Um, that's kind of how the people were when Jesus started talking, right? When they were like, wow, he from our little city, the Messiah is going to come. And you know, they're all saying, isn't this Joseph's son? Like, but it's not said in the negative. It's more like, I know him. I know Joseph. He and I, we often eat um, fig leaves together. Can you eat fig leaves? I think that's gross. Figs. You eat figs, not the leaves. That's the Garden of Eden. I'm getting a whole other thing going on here right now. I have to do this at least once a week. I'm sorry. So anyways, that, that's, that was sort of the sentiment in the Greek. They weren't mad that he said he was the Messiah. No one ever got mad about that. They were thrilled about that, like, whoa, we're going to have a lot of miracles here. We're probably going to live to 200 because he's just going to raise us from the dead if we die. This is like, it's like when you know somebody who's like a pilot and you're on their flight and you think, I am definitely going to first class today. Okay, so that's, that's sort of the sense you get. But then Jesus, instead of going, you're right, it is awesome that I'm from this town. Wonderful, wonderful, I'll be greeting you out in the back, and I'll be, he doesn't do that. Instead, he says to them, all this business about, like, you think you're going to be healed, and you don't have, you're not going to have faith. But then he gets into something that really makes them mad, and this is what really makes them mad. He says, I assure you that there were many widows in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a, window in Zarephath, a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Now, if you know geography, you'll know that that, window, that widow from Zarephath, she was not Jewish. She was not one of them. She was different. And Elijah says, hey, listen, this is the kind of Messiah I am. 
I'm not one that's going to pick everybody that's in your group. And then he said, listen, there were lots of lepers in the day of Elisha, but uh, they only, God only healed Naaman. And Naaman, now listen to me, this is like a theological conundrum. This whole story from Nahum um, is wild. And if you want to read it this week, it's found in 2 Kings, 1 Kings. Uh, he says, uh, Naaman gets healed of leprosy. And then he says at the end to the prophet, oh, by the way, I'm really sorry. Like, I know God healed me. But, like, also, I have to go into this temple and bow down to this, like, it's like an idol. I hope that's okay. And that's how the story ends. Okay, so, like, put that into your theological, like, uh, like God doesn't say, and then also we gave him back leprosy. <laughs> his nose fell off and so did all of his fingers. Like that, because he wasn't following the principle. And Jesus has the nerve to bring this story up. What? Because like, in some ways, it's like uh, they had kind of, uh, this was in the Bible, but it's like one of those stories that you kind of just go, let's, let's tuck that one away for something else. I, I don't know what it's. A, but Jesus says, listen, by the way, I'm the Messiah. Also, the kind of Messiah I am is a Messiah that's going to make you feel uncomfortable. I hope you enjoy yourself. And the, the crowd in this becomes like, they go from, isn't that wonderful, to let's kill him. Let's kill him. Now, we think that this is, like, funny because we think that oh, this is, um, it, 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 we think, oh, it must just be hyperbole. No, no, no. They went from going, wonderful, oh, it's so great, to let's kill him. Now, let's, let's throw him off a cliff. Let's throw him off a cliff. So what's happening here? We, we have to ask ourselves, when people have like great mood swings, I mean, you ask this sometimes of your teenage children. What is happening here that you would go from this to this? Some of you don't look at your spouse right now. Because you understand, but the question to ask is not like, is this normal? What has happened? And what has happened here is it's pushed in on the people's sensibilities. What's interesting is it's not just one person. So this is an encounter with Jesus that many people are having. And the scripture is telling us something about humanity in general. That as humans, we love pecking orders. We love to decide who's in and who's out. You know why? Because it makes us feel good. It's like, I'm in. You might not be in. We, we are prone. Now, I know right away, right away, because as I'm reading this text to myself, right away I'm thinking, well, that's not me. I accept everybody. And that's what we like to do as humans, right? Because we like to make ourselves. But the truth is, the scripture is there for a reason. Because God knew that for all of us, there are people and places that are no-go zones for us. And Jesus pushed into that by reminding us of the widow Zarephath and Naaman. So what does this tell us? It tells us this. We don't get to choose who's in and out. We don't. Only God does. We don't get to say these are the... Because God chose Naaman who like, was in a temple afterwards bowing down saying, Sorry. 
in our world, we would say that if Naaman came here, I think we would be prone to say, well, you're halfway there, close to the kingdom you are. We don't get to choose. The second thing it tells us is that we must confront our own biases and prejudices. We must. We must, we must, we must. How do we know? So like, you don't ever meet anybody that says, yeah, I'm really prejudiced. Just one of the things I'm working on. You know, I got like, I got like gossiping and also I'm racist. Something about me, sorry. No, nobody admits that. No, nobody ever says I'm prejudiced towards this kind of people. I'm prejudiced towards people with money. I don't like them. Nobody says I'm prejudiced towards people that are homeless. I don't like, no one admits that. So how do we confront our own prejudices? How, how, do, we, how do we figure out what those are? And I, I just was thinking about this a little bit. I think it's anywhere we make generalizations about people, anywhere we have discomfort, discomfort. So I often ask myself this, how would I feel being part of a community where everyone was whatever the case may be. So I, I used to think, like I didn't have any, I was just like accepting of all people. And then, um, and then Dave and I started pastoring a church where there were lots of people with AIDS in our congregation, many, many people with AIDS, like more than 30% of our congregation had AIDS. And this was in the 90s when we were still scared of that, right? Oh, and I just remember the Lord pushing back on me that, that you're, you're prejudiced towards people that have that. Yes. Yes. And I, I used to think that, oh, like people who were homeless, I was good with. I was, until then, I, the Lord just said to me, yeah, but what, what if they were sitting next to you every single week and that's all you had? Well, I was okay with one or two because that, like, th that you could get a break then, right? You didn't have to actually smell that smell. And there is a smell. Like, I, I am colorblind, which is a nonsense thing to say, by the way. That's not even a pastoral thing. I'm just telling you, that's nonsense. None of us are colorblind. We can all see differences amongst us. Our differences are what make us beautiful. But, but what, what about this? What if you were the only person who looked like you in your whole community? How's that making you feel now? Because you're okay with it. You got no prejudice until you're on the back end of that, right? Till you're the minority? Oh, be people of God, we have got, I know some of you are thinking, she's going very political right now. I don't know how I feel about this. Listen, if we don't speak to these issues, we're not speaking to anything that matters. We, we must speak to things. Listen, this, this is why I, I'm very passionate about having a diverse church, both diverse in our age categories. We need all of us. We need all of us. We need all of us. But diverse in, in racial diversity as well, that we'd have people from all over the world. This is why it's not good enough to just say, you know what I do? I just go to a small group with people who I love. Because you know who you're going to get in that small group? People who are like you. Nobody's going to push in on your generalizations. Nobody's going to push in on your prejudices. This is why you need to go, with, go to church with people you don't, that make you feel uncomfortable. If you haven't been uncomfortable here, you find a new seat. This is what Jesus, listen, we cannot get away from what this text was saying. This is what the text was saying. Jesus says, I am the kind of Messiah who is for everybody. And if that makes you uncomfortable, oh well, I'm going to walk right through you. 
and you're going to miss me. You're going to miss me. You're going to miss me. And the people who were in that synagogue didn't miss Jesus because they didn't believe in the miracles. They didn't miss Jesus because uh, he said he was the Messiah. They missed Jesus because of their own prejudices. They missed Jesus because of their own generalizations. They missed Jesus because they had blinders on. And I want to call us today to be people who confront those things in our lives. And will that make us uncomfortable? And will that wreck all of our boxes? Yes, it will wreck all of your boxes. But that's what Jesus does. He wrecks all of our boxes, all of our conditions. This also tells us that this mindset, when we say that Jesus is for everyone, it keeps the church from being a country club and allows us to be a spiritual hospital. It's okay that our, all of our brokenness is on display. So this is the question here. Are there areas in my life where I hold an exclusive mindset? Where I think only these kinds of people. Only this. Only that. And by the way, so some of you will say, well, like, I, I, have this, I have this mindset because I can back it up from Scripture, Pastor. And Paul has given us a list of vices that we're not supposed to be around. Yeah, but, but let me just... The, the people sitting in that synagogue, the reason they were mad is because they could, like, back it up from Scripture. Why it wasn't good to be saying, like, we're going to allow all the Naamans in. God says he's a jealous God. Do you, do you understand this? Jesus says... I am bigger than all of your mindsets. I'm bigger than all the ways you box me in. Whew. That's a somewhat kind, kind of, not exhausting, but, but it means that we got to hold everything like this. People over principles every time. So this morning, here's where I want to end. I'm just going to uh, just ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads. This is the day of the favor of the Lord. What a wonderful concept for all of us today that we'd be able to live by the scandalous nature of God's grace. No matter where you are today, if you're living under a cloud of shame, Romans 8 tells us that there is therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. That means the very first day you come to Jesus and the day you draw your last breath, his grace rests on you. His favor rests on you. Some of you have lived under uh, shame and condemnation for a long time. I'm just praying just in this moment, God, would you just lift shame and condemnation off? May we be like children who just continue to walk even when it's difficult. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to confront our prejudice and our bias today. Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear where we have an exclusive mindset. Help us to see, God, where we um, have only believed that it's a gospel for some people, not for all people. Jesus, I pray that you would stir in us a belief that we are to follow you. Were to that, well, I pray that you stir a belief in us that we are anointed from the Holy One 
to do the things that you've done. Would you give us courage today to follow you in every way that you have shown us in scripture? And God, I pray that we would encounter you so that the, ultimately the world might encounter you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you just stand with me this morning? We're going to close just in a song. We're going to release you. Thanks for listening to us today. For more information about who we are, head over to myjourney.church or look for us on your favorite social media outlet.